0: we're moving through the book of ephesians and and you can hold me to this it's fine. We'll be co- we'll begin covering more than 3 verses at a time starting next week. I know you guys are excited about that. I know you guys are like we've been in this so long Jesus is going to have to tell me how this ends, good grief. That's okay. And we are discussing some incredibly important information that is relevant for now, and that is the importance of the unity of the body. What is our glorious practice in Christ? And so let me just give a quick refresher so we can get up to speed where we need to be. Ephesians is divided up into two sections. I know you've heard me say this over and over, but I'm a firm believer that repetition is a good teacher. So, are dealing with the idea of doctrine. It's what we need to know. And everything that it's telling us is true. What is true of you? What is true of God? What is true of what God has done for you? And our greatest problem is we live in a world of distraction. We live in a world of what we consider competing worldviews, or there's many different ways to look at that. While all of that is considered uh, uh, not relevant, relative, forgive me. Well, that's all relative, relative on the situation, relative on the circumstances. And the amazing thing I love about the Bible is the Bible does not play those games. The Bible has no time for lies. The Bible sets out very clearly for us, number one, we were sinners, we needed salvation. Jesus is the only person that could supply that for us because we cannot do it on our own. And in doing so, and now being our Savior, He hasn't just saved us from an eternity in the lake of fire. But he has also jettisoned us into an incredible realm of blessings that are already ours, regardless if we understand it or not. It's like Christmas every day. Every day there's a present to open. Every day there's something brand new to understand about what Jesus has done for you. And so, if you notice in the first three, we learned about the privileges that we have, the position that we have in God's glorious plan. The Bible is audacious enough to actually tell us what the end of the world looks like and has predicted it just fine. I don't know if you've licked your finger and held it to the wind lately, but so far it's batting a 1,000. Anybody notice that? Doing pretty well. Praise the Lord. It's the Word of God. But all this tells us what we need to know. Cleaning the air filter is not part of this presentation. However... You move into chapter 4, and now the question is, is why does that matter? You know it, but so what? I have all this information, but how does it affect my life? How does it affect how I make decisions? How does it affect how I treat other people? How does it affect how I exist in this world? And what we find out is, is that when we actually start to embrace the Bible, when we actually start to embrace God's Word, we find out that this world actually... Looks insane. Now God has orchestrated the church to be the weirdos of every society. And we have to be okay with that. We have to recognize that any sort of consequences or persecutions that would be connected to that, while they might be undeserved, are completely understandable when you've got a whole society who desires to run in a situation that is divorced from their Creator. So we shouldn't expect anything other than sin being rampant. Well, we care about human rights, and we care about morality and justice in this land. Well, if that was the case, then how come none of our congressmen will let the Epstein list be made known to people? Well, that's too much truth. You can't handle the truth. How about you can't handle going to jail for the rest of your life? See, we love truth up until a point. But we have to make sure we can always control it. The amazing thing about the Bible is is you can't control the truth. It's just true. And this is what scares people to death. In fact, let me say this real quick. I was surprised at some of the reactions I got from the sermon last week. And it made me wonder, why is that? Because some people, some of you, some listening online actually contacted me. Felt the need to justify themselves to me. Recognize this. I'm not in judgment over you. Any sort of conversation that needs to be had about that is between you and the Lord. That's important. But if you're, re- if you're wondering what you were probably experiencing that time, it's conviction of the Holy Spirit. That's what it is. And sometimes in our world, we don't know how to deal with that. That's what it is. And what that conviction does is it calls you to the Lord. He's saying, get alone with me. Let's work through these issues search my word so as to find me and see what I have to say about these issues. And then walk forward in the freedom that you have that I gave you in my son. That's how we deal with the conviction of the Holy Spirit. He's not here to condemn. There's no condemnation for those who are in Christ. He's here to convict so that we would live more in alignment with his purposes. So when we talk about actually walking, how do we live in life? Why does it matter? How does it change how I interact with somebody? Okay, just making sure. That still freaks me out when Jeff walks by outside. So, He's a good security guy though, so great. All of you packing heat today, I thank you. So we step into this realm how the church has been created and we find starting in verse 11 that God is actually blessed on the other side of the cross and resurrection and ascension. He's blessed the church with offices that have specific roles in fostering growth. So you have apostles and prophets. Those were foundational offices. Those were revealing of truth offices. And they've now passed off the scene because we have the completed word of God. But then you have evangelists, people who are just geared, sparked by the Holy Spirit in order to be sharing the gospel with everybody. And the Spirit is providing incredible results for that. Some that are pastors. The idea is protecting of the soul. In fact, the, the Greek word for this is derived from the idea of protect and it's the idea of watching over souls being a shepherd and also teachers those who would give you the truth in order for you to assimilate these offices are the nutrients and supplements of the body of Christ and it cannot move forward without that notice the reason why we are there for uh-oh you guys like red there we go for the equipping Some of your translations say the perfecting of the saints. The idea is that your bat utility belt is fully loaded. That's what we're looking to do, is by receiving the word in the various aspects that we have, and notice that all these offices are communication, it is to load us up, and we are to be fully loaded and ready to move forward. Not in a mean, militaristic way, even though we are in a battle, let's make no mistake, But recognize that our battle is not about flesh and blood. It's about dealing with demonic forces. It's about spirits of deception. It's about things that would come our way to want to get us off kilter. So the idea of doctrine, the Word of God going out, is to equip the saints for the work of service. And this word service here is the exact same word that can be translated ministry. Ministry is done by the body. Has anybody ever seen this? The 80-20 rule. Has anybody ever said that? Anybody ever heard of the 80-20 rule? 80% of the work done in a church is only done by 20% of the people. Does anybody know what this rule is called? Disobedience. That's what it's called. That's what it's called. What is God's ideal for this? The 100-100 rule. That's what it is. Everyone in the body has been given a spiritual gift and is called to do something, but they are to do it in light of the teaching of the Word of God that has been communicated to them and hopefully given some sort of understanding of how that appropriates your just basic conversation with people at a very basic level or how you make big decisions in your life or whether or not you choose what your life looks like in the future. Bringing it under submission to God because only he is telling us the truth. So that's the goal of that. Why? Because when this happened, it builds up the body of Christ. Now notice, there's a point that this comes to. Until we, number one, attain the unity of the faith. Now, if you're familiar with what we saw before in this, and I didn't want to go over it and rehash it again, spiritually speaking, we already have perfect unity. In fact, we can't get more unified than we are because we're all unified, spiritually speaking, in Christ. And that allows for any brother or sister that we would have the most stark disagreement with of any other church denomination as long as they have trusted in Christ as their Savior who died for their sins and rose from the grave. If they've believed the gospel, they have the Holy Spirit, they're part of the body of Christ. So, that spiritual unity, done deal. Sealed forever good to go. However, what that unity looks like in real time with you and I interacting with each other, that's what needs to happen. The spiritual is already 150% true. Paul's admonition is to strive after that unity to be a reality in everyday life of how we operate. So when we talk about this unity, what we're actually talking about here is practical, how I live out my life. And not only that, But the second thing that's going to put us towards God's goal is going to be the idea of the knowledge. We attain the knowledge of the Son of God. Now remember this. This word is epignosis. And the idea of this knowledge is not something that's weird or super spiritual or mysterious or I've got to go out in the desert and have some sort of experience with God. I see a lot of this all over the place. Well, because I didn't have this experience with God, I walked away from the faith. The reason why you didn't have this experience with God is because you were expecting it and the demon said, well, they got it on their own. We're just going to leave this alone. Let it play out because we're self-deceived. You can have no experience with God unless it's rooted in doctrine. You have to have the foundational truth in place first and be embracing it in order for it to play out in our daily experience. You can't just be like, okay, lotus pose, everybody out here, breathe deep. You'll make yourself high from all the oxygen. Good luck on that one. But as far as having any sort of revelation with God, I guarantee you, a demon is just waiting for you to to draw John Lennon out of the dead. I guarantee it. He's just waiting for it. Why? Because it's the perfect deception. Let's give this person exactly what they want. It's completely divorced from the truth. And it will be so miraculous of a style that will mark them and impress them and jilt their thinking to be experience only. Why do I need the truth? I've had an experience with God. You haven't. You've had an experience with the supernatural, yes, but it wasn't God that you were messing with. So this epignosis is a deep knowledge, yes, but it's also firsthand, I've laid hands on it. There's a difference between knowing that your car needs to be fixed and actually getting in there with a wrench and fixing your car. That's what epignosis is. It's a firsthand account. It's an experience that has had developed off of doctrine. It is a way for you to move forward because you are so thoroughly ingrained with this now that you've actually achieved a greater understanding of it. It's not weird. It's not super spiritual. You don't have to go to a, a tarot card reader for stuff like that. It's just simply asking for God to begin revealing himself through the word. And when we embrace the word in obedience, this just happens. Now, here's a thing to think about. If we are not experiencing some form of epignosis where we find ourselves in awe of the way that God is unfolding himself in our lives, we must ask ourselves, are we being obedient? Are we embracing the doctrine that we've been given? If I'm not foundational on the idea of God never changes, that God is omnipresent, he's everywhere present, that God is omniscient, he knows everything. If i am not got these basic things in mind of which to grab onto, then I am going to be as unsturdy as all get out. Two-legged stand right here. I'll never be able to stand up on those things because I don't have what's necessary. So real quick, this is from last week. Ephesians 4.13 stresses practical unity. Verses 1 through 3 give us the attitude. How do I need to approach my brothers and sisters in the body of Christ? 4 through 6 gives me the reason. Because God is unified in everything that he does. So why would he want us all divisive? He wouldn't. We have spiritual unity. We now need to strive for practical unity. Verses 7 through 11, it's the provision. What is it? It's Christ, and he's triumphant over death, held the grave. He is now raised, he is now ascended, and we are waiting for him to come again. So, what is the goal? The goal is the mature man. Now, it got so many laughs last week, we're going to do it again, but here it is. Okay? How does this happen? The world, the flesh, and the devil are all seeking to get my attention and control. But what needs to happen is I need to receive the information of the Word of God in my brain. When I begin to trust it, when I appropriate it, how do you do that? By faith. Faith just means believing. I hear what it's saying, and now I'm going to bank on the fact that that's true. When that happens, it's now applied to my heart. The Holy Spirit within me brings in illumination. He makes it alive. If you've ever been in a situation where you've read a Bible passage time and time again, but for some reason on the 46th try you went through it, it just went "Ah," off the page at you. That's the illumination of the Holy Spirit. He is grabbing your attention with the truth that your mind could just recall at any moment But for some reason, the heart has come alive in relation to that text. The Holy Spirit is wanting to teach you in that moment. So he illuminates the text when we embrace it by faith. It comes into a deep understanding, thorough firsthand knowledge of that super knowledge. And in doing so, conviction takes place. There is no shortcut between Bible, Spirit, and time for this to happen. It just takes a long time. We are not McChurch. Please don't make it the McBible, okay? We can't do those things. We can't shortcut it. Now, moving forward, 4.11 tells us that the body of Christ needs these offices. 4.12 tells us the reason the offices were given. 4.13 tells us the earthly goal for the body. What does God want? God wants us to be mature. In fact, when it says at the end of 13, the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ, that means that every bit of the body of Christ becomes fully developed out in order to reach its maximum potential as God would have it. To be reached. How is it accomplished? It's accomplished by striving for practical unity with one another. It's accomplished by having that firsthand experience knowledge with the Lord Jesus Christ. There's no other way. So now, four fourteen. As a result, or in light of this, because this is true, he's now going to give us the why we need to be equipped and maturing. We are no longer to be children. Everybody, see we. Paul includes himself. He's not more special than we are. It's him as well. We are no longer to be children, tossed here and there by the waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by the trickery of men, by craftiness and deceitful scheming, but speaking the truth in love, we're to grow up in all aspects into him who is the head, even Christ from whom the whole body being fitted and held together by what every joint supplies according to the proper working of each individual part causes the growth of the body for the building up of itself in love. What's the first thing he tells us here in 14? Children no longer. We are not to be infants in the Lord. We are not to stay babies. Slobbering theologically is no longer acceptable after a certain time. We've got to move on. We've got to grow up. And sometimes, the reason usually is, is because we're not growing up, we're not sharing Christ with people, and therefore people are not getting saved. Or because we're not growing up, we're not discipling others, and therefore others are not maturing. How does the maturing happen? The reception of the Word, the embracing of the Word, and time in the Spirit make the Word a reality in our lives so that we are changed people. So notice, as a result, we are no longer... No longer. It's unacceptable to be that way, to be children. Now, what does that look like? Notice this first part here. Tossed here and there by waves. Automatically, automatically he's putting a ship in your mind, right? You might think about on the Sea of Galilee and how it's all going crazy. The apostles are like, we're going to die, and they're hugging onto each other. Jesus is asleep down below. Talk about supernatural, right? Like, don't you care we're going to die? He comes out there, and what does he do? Peace, be still. Done. We're not to be tossed to and fro. We're not to be easily jostled. We're not to be moved off base. We're not to become uncentered. When we remain children, that's exactly what happens. In fact, not only that, but notice the next part. It says, and carried about. You know what that means, carried about? You ever seen a child that doesn't want to leave and you pick them up and you start moving them in the direction they need to go? What do they do? Right? We know that we ought to be in this direction, but we're getting carried away by something crazy, some way that we've been deluded. Remember, the whole idea of deception is that you don't know that you've been had until well after the fact. That's what deception is. And then when you finally come to an understanding of that, you look back and you go, oh man, that's where it must have went wrong. The problem is we're so far on the other side of that now, it's already began to take its course on us. That's why Satan loves deception. When he's got us, we don't know it. And guarantee you this, if the church remains children, he will get us every time. That's his business. Notice we're not to be blown around. We're not to be a ship without direction. In other words, even even when we know what the intended course is, it becomes elusive to us. We can't even seem to grasp it. So the idea of that not happening, maturity aids us in avoiding these types of pitfalls. Notice, carried about by every wind. Everybody see that? Okay. Of what? What is this? Doctrine. You know what that is? Chapters 1 through 3, biblically speaking, This is the exact same word that could be translated teaching, but he's not talking about biblical doctrine, is he? He's talking about strange things that come in and get us off course and going in a different direction. In fact, it's by the trickery of men. Notice who's responsible. Trickery. This word is actually derived from the Greek word that means to roll dice. It's people gambling with your mind to get you in a bad direction. And notice it's also by the craftiness and deceitful scheming. I found this translation by a man named Goodspeed. It's ingenuity in inventing error. It's the idea of how can I come up with a new invention in order to get people off track. Don't think that's not going on. It's going on everywhere. Let me give you this. If you're familiar with this being in a prison epistle, what is the sister book to Ephesians? Does anybody remember? Colossians. Colossians is a sister book. Look what it says. Let no one keep defrauding you. This is Colossians 2, 18 and 19. Let no one keep defrauding you of your prize by delighting in self-abasement, okay? Oh, look at me, I'm so humble. Watch out for that guy. And the worship of angels. The worship of angels. We got that problem today. This is what they were dealing with back then. False humility that actually brought attention to self. So everybody's an actor in the body of Christ. That's dangerous. Worshiping angels, that's messed up. Taking his stand on visions, he has seen. The Lord showed me. Pause, man. Pause. I can't find it in the Word of God. I'm sorry. Next man up. Okay? Notice this. This is so interesting. Taking his stand on visions, he has seen. Inflated. Without cause by his fleshly mind. Anybody know that has an inflated fleshly mind? Wives, be careful. Okay? None of this. An inflated fleshly mind. It's the person who is so engrossed in sin and they're so deceitful in it that they think they can actually get by with it and no one will ever know. Not only that, and not holding fast to the head. Who's the head? Christ. Christ is unfounded on their ambitions from whom the entire body, that's us, being supplied and held together by the joints and ligaments, grows with a growth which is from God. And we're going to see that that mirrors what we're looking at in Ephesians. Now back to this real quick. Notice the idea of the trickery of men. If what they were dealing with at that time was a, was a false self-humility, if they're dealing with at that time the idea of worshiping angels, having fat heads but no Christ, what are some of the things that we deal with today that could be deceitful doctrines, that are trying to sell the church on. Here's an interesting thing. The childish church loses sight of the truth being unknowingly ushered into dark and dangerous waters in this way. Number one, critical race theory. Has anybody heard of critical race theory? Here's the motive of critical race theory. Critical race theory says there's a problem in society, but it's largely covered up. And so what we have to do is we have to expose this hidden problem in society and then find a group of people that are willing to take up the action against it in order to create an activism in order to overcome it. Now, what this has done is this has created something that goes along with what's called woke belief or woke theology, and it's become part and parcel of this idea of what's also been known in some kinder terms as reverse racism. Now, here's the interesting thing. Reverse racism is actually racism. That's what it is. And what you find out is, is it doesn't matter if you're white, black, Hispanic, Chinese, I don't care. If you bring it back to the truth of the Bible, what you find out is that eight people got off the ark, they were all man and woman couples, and that's where we all came from. So everybody stop the racism crap. That's where you find that it rests at. Because all of that, the perpetuation of this racism and this CRT thing, it creates division, creates division, creates division. And what it does is it tries to provide solutions for situations that aren't truly there. Those problems don't actually exist if you press them, if you press them. Why? Give you an example. The head of the Diversity, Equity, and Inclusiveness Department of John Hopkins University, and I shared this with the elders, decided that they were going to give a brand new year talk on the word privilege. And if you were someone who had an amount of affluency, and especially if you were white and have fallen in love with somebody of the opposite sex, and you were somebody who made a certain amount of money, and if you were conservative in your belief system, you were actually existing in a realm of privilege of which you did not deserve and should not be given to you, but you were unknowingly lording it over people in order to make them feel lesser than's. And you're under the false guise that if anybody would work hard and do what they could in order to achieve that type of status, that they could do that. Well, that's a lie. That's privilege. And you're wrong for having it. No. And those are the things that disqualify you. You know what that's called? Racism. That's racism. So this is something that's sweeping in. The Southern Baptist Convention has made all these resolutions in order to come to terms with how we've wronged some things in the past. Recognize then, we have got to stop looking at the skin color of people. Stop it. It is the biggest waste of time we've ever seen. And notice, the media will speak out against it, but they perpetuate it. It's wrong. It's a lie. And as the church who has the truth, we need to look through and say, get this. Doesn't matter who you are, Jesus Christ died for you. Let that be the ground. Everybody's face is on the ground before the cross at that moment. Start there. Then we can build from there. Joel, I love you. I'm going to tell you guys a secret about Joel. He's black. (laughs) Oh, my gosh, the pastor said that. Lightning is not going to hit me. I don't love him any more or any less than any other of you. Why? He's my brother in Christ. I don't care what skin color he is. He's a better drummer than me. That's what makes me mad. (laughs) You know? If we got any beef, it's that. Show me how you played that beat, right? That's what I'm doing. we don't have any beef. Why? We don't have any beef because we have Christ. Everybody see that? We don't have any problem because we have Jesus. And if I recall correctly, and and by the way, you guys know Rob Schneider? You know him? He's the guy, you can do it. He's that guy, right? In fact, he did a movie called Deuce Bigelow, Male Gigolo. Don't watch it. But here's the thing. Just say, Jay, I know it's your favorite. Okay, but listen. (laughs) Rob Schneider recently came to faith in Christ. And it's beautiful to watch. These people are starting to get saved, man. They're starting to see all of it in popularity and fame for what it truly is. They're noting the satanic nature of it, and they're walking away and clinging to Christ. And he said this the best. He goes, you know what? When I survey all the religions of the world, I find all this hatred. And I find all this meanness. And man, Christians can be this way. Stop that. It's not reflective of Jesus whatsoever. But what I found was Jesus was the only person in all these religions that I looked at that said this one thing. Love your neighbor as yourself. Love them. Everybody else is teaching us to hate them. Nope. Love them. Love them. That's all you got to do. What is another trickery or craftiness and deceitful scheming that gets us off base? Here it is. Are you ready? Because this is what's bringing everything down. Pay attention. If you're not aware of this, get aware. Get in the know on this. Get hip to this quickly for all you older people. Got it? Here we are. Track it with me. It's good. Climate change. Climate change is doing it. And this is a philosophy that is being perpetuated by the World Economic Forum. This is a group of people in Switzerland who were not elected for anything. They just had a bunch of money. They've been able to blackmail a lot of people in different governments. And so therefore, they are now coming to the top and they are bending governments to their will to implement things in order to feed their purposes of creating a one-world government and a one-world banking system. If you're not paying attention to the farming crisis that's going on in Europe right now, open your eyes. Dutch farmers are marching in protest. European farmers... I love the French farmers, man. They're backing up to the court buildings and the city halls and they're spraying using manure sprayers on them. I love it. I think it's great. I'm like, I really haven't seen eye to eye on the French on much, but there you go. Praise the Lord. It's happening in Canada right now, and they're recognizing this. In fact, in Ireland, got this on, got this, is, is a news post to bring this up. Let me see here. don't have time to talk to Isaiah Parr as a text. Here we go. In Ireland, farmers have been told that they must call 200,000 cows to meet the government's climate ambition. Pay attention to the language. Climate ambition. If we don't get in there and destroy these cows, we're going to die. Pause. Who controls life and death? Pay attention. As long as the earth remains. Notice what's happened here. Okay? It says here, this is among the other insane legislation which has been te- which, which will take technically bankrupt them. And now these farmers are fighting back. No farms, no food. Pay attention. That's the way that it's always been set up. This is the way it was set up in the Old Testament. We need meat, period. Praise God for Genesis 9. If you're a vegetarian, I still love you. But I like barbecue, man. You know it, okay? It's the fact of it. But it's the idea of creating a false crisis in order to bring people into dependability and submission and distractibility to distract you. Now recognize this. The World Economic Forum is founded by a man named Klaus Schwab who's now in his 80s. He likes to walk around on the beach dressed as a naked fairy. You can find it on the internet. His father was a high-ranking official in Hitler's army. Pay attention to the mentality that's coming across here. Okay? So this is where all this is coming from. He's already got England in his back pocket. He's probably got America in his back pocket. In fact, mm, I'm going to guess he does. But watch, because what's happening in Canada last year, especially with the farmers, what's happening in Europe right now with the farmers, it's coming to America. It's going to happen. This is is something that we can't get led astray. Why? Because the Bible tells us very clearly that we're to depend on growing food in order to eat. It tells us very clearly that we're allowed to eat meat. It tells us very clearly that these are things in order for us to create a community of sustenance. And if we have to do that looking inside to ourselves, then praise the Lord that we will do that. But notice that all this is a denial of one big thing. God's word has no bearing on me. We will do what we want, and we will project all this in order to take over the world. The idea of biblical authority is a real thing. Now, for those of you that don't know, around the late 1700s and 1800s, there was something that came in called neo-orthodoxy. Anytime you deal with something that's neo, watch out, okay? Neo means new. Orthodoxy means connected with neo. mm, I don't think so. That's what that means, essentially. So anything that was considered an orthodox belief of the faith at that time, you have people like Karl Barth who came up and said, well, you know, we can't really determine what the word word means when we talk about the word of God. So it needs to be a little bit more freeform, and we need to make it, pay attention, subjective. You know what subjective means? It's your opinion and your emotions, and that's all that matters. Now, the problem is, is that robs us of something called objectivity objectivity is it's true you got to deal with it because we've gotten away from the objectivity and authority of the bible that is what perpetuated this sinful progression that's why we find ourselves where we are and people trying to make us on our knees subservient to these false ideas where does it come from god hasn't spoken can't trust him this is where it all comes from recognize it's a denial of the bible Why is that important? Because that is the trickery of men and the craftiness of deceitful scheming. The word scheming is where we get the word methods from or the wiles of somebody. But what is it? It's part of every wind of doctrine. See, it doesn't just pertain to religious things. We just don't have to be worried about weirdos in the church. That's not what it is. This isn't necessarily an in-house issue. They're there. But we're talking about that if the Bible claims to be true, then it has relevance on how we live our lives outside of these walls. If that's the case, God's still God out there as he is in here. And therefore, we have to look at our entire world through those lenses. Why? Because only God is the creator. Everything else is answerable to him. So watch this. Because the idea might come down to, well, if in order to feed your family, you have to deny your God. In fact, we know during the tribulation, if you don't take this mark of the beast, you can't put gas in your car. You can't buy groceries at the grocery store. You will eat the bugs and you will like them. Stop it. Stop all that. I tell you what, you do it first and let's see how that goes. Crazy. That's the idea of a real life, relevant present situation that is coming our way. Be aware. Pray for the rapture. Come, Lord Jesus. Number two, here's the solution. We must grow up. In fact, that's what he tells us in verses 15 and 16. Everybody see that word, but? I love that word, but. Because it means what? It means this. 180 degree turnaround. I love it. But how should we handle this situation, Paul? Speaking the truth, That's doctrine, speaking truth, in love. Now notice what this isn't. This isn't, if you're going to tell me something in the Bible, be gushy. Make it to where I like it. Pull my heartstrings a little bit for that. That's not love. That's Hallmark. Stop it. That's what that is. Love might be, I know you don't want to be faced with this. But for the betterment of you and your family and your person, you need to know this fact. That's love. Why? Because you're caring about the individual beyond whether or not they're going to receive it as well. In fact, this is one of the motivations that caused people to move forward in evangelism. Not everybody's going to respond to the gospel of Jesus Christ favorably. Guess what? That shouldn't stop us from telling them. Why? Because if we truly love them, their aversion to that does not stop the fact that they need to hear what's going to rescue them from the lake of fire. It's love. It's love that should perpetuate that. So the way that we do it is, number one, we've got to start with this. Speaking, oh, I love this because we get to be verbal, and everybody knows I love being verbal, okay? So notice, let's speak the truth, the truth, in love to one another. That's how it happens. You know what this means? It means the offices. And doing it amongst yourselves as well. But by doing that, that is the seedbed of which we are to grow up in all, and this word aspects is not in the original. But they were looking for a way to find it. So if we talk about being the body of Christ, it means that it's supposed to fill itself out to the very tips of the fingers. It's to get down to the very tips of the toes so that we are fully growing in every way that we ought to. It's allowing doctrine to have its course and so embracing it to where we can't help but to fill out properly the body of Christ. So grow up in all aspects into Him. Him is Christ. That's who. He is the head. Anybody ever seen a body without a head? Doesn't last long. Does it? Doesn't go anywhere very long. In fact, some churches are like chickens with a head cut off. Where do you go to church? I go to first chicken with your head cut off church. Probably in Kentucky, let's be honest. But what are they doing? You know? Some churches are like that. Literally. Literally because they're devoid of doctrine. They want to live in 4, 5, and 6, but they don't want to embrace 1, 2, and 3. That's a problem. That's a problem. So notice, we're to grow up in one direction. Christ. Christ. Christ is the beginning, middle, and end of our faith. Christ is the pinnacle of it. Christ is not only the one who was incarnated for us and died for us, but rose from the grave for us, has ascended for us, and has promised to receive us again. It's all about Jesus all the time. It's all about Jesus, period. In fact, if you want to be safe on any question that's ever given you on something, just respond with Jesus, period. It all comes back to him. It's all connected in him. In fact, we're told in Colossians, in him, all things hold together. Do you realize that our entire world would disintegrate into nothingness if Jesus wasn't who he is? That's what that's telling us. Well, that's a pretty audacious statement because I went to science class in such and such university. Well, cool, man. Learn it. It's true. Only Jesus holds all these things together. So we're to grow up in him. He is the answer to all of it. In fact, I'll say this. This this was something that Louis Ferry Chafer said. If you would just keep Christ as the main thing and you're wondering what to do in your life, do whatever you want. If Jesus is number one, front and center, your constant bullseye. I tell Faith Gladham this all the time. I love this. You're centerpiece. The middle of your table. Everything you look at. Do whatever you want in your life. Because it will all emanate out of his centrality. His firstness. His preeminence in your life. But get this, guys. We are a multifaceted body right here we are. We've all got to have him as first together. There are no second-rate Christians. There are no third-class citizens in heaven. None of that stuff. We are all one and equally across the board in Christ. But that is a grand, glorious, and lofty position that we've been given. So therefore, if we would all just keep our eyes fettered on him all the time, then we can move forward in all this freedom that he allows for and always be on target because all we care about is getting closer. To Jesus, that's it. Christian life really isn't that hard. It's just the idea of maintaining focus. Now here's what's interesting. It moves into this. From whom? Jesus. The whole body. That's all of us. That's me and y'all. Being fitted and held together. Now watch this. Fitted. Real quick. i got to give you some of this. I know I'm running a little long. It's okay. The idea is joined. We've been joined together. And notice not just held together, but the idea is to be united. Those types of things. Stop checking your watch, Mary Walker. That is now always perpetually on the internet this moment in time. Not just held together, but this idea. We're knit together. We're not just joined, but we've been knit. We've been tethered in. We've been clasped together as the body of Christ. This is who we are. This is who we are. You can't get rid of me because I'm part of you. We are clasped together in this. Now watch. You might say, well, yeah, Jesus holds it all together. It's not what the text says at all. Jesus is the head. We are the body. So he's running the show. And we are to be plugged into his truth so we know how to move forward, how to operate, when to move, when to stay, when to wait. We're supposed to know all that because he's leading the charge. But watch what it says. We're held together by what every joint supplies. Every joint. Every single person is a joint in the body of Christ. Every joint. That means that every member matters and every member must be providing. In fact, the word supplies here could also be translated Provision. Everything that you bring to the table is part of the body of Christ. It's necessary for you to be there. There is not one person that is dispensable in this church. There's not one person that should be neglected at all. Every single person is indispensable for one reason they are somebody Christ died for and now a part of his body. So every member matters. Notice this every joint supplies according to that's a measurement term to the proper working as opposed to the improper working of each individual part. You know what that is? Same as this. Every joint providing, every part's got to be working. And notice, he's talking about unity, 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 the body. Yes, but now we're talking about the individual parts Have got to be working the right way in order for the whole to be built up because that's what holds us all together. Let me say it this way the 80 20 church is just barely hanging on because only 20% of the body's work. Can you imagine if you only worked out 20% of your body? It's like your left arm for six years. What would that look like? You'd look like half Gene and half me. Watch out! Good Lord. I can't pick that box up with my right hand, but my left hand can do it. That's weird. And the body of Christ is lopsided like that too often. No, the 100-100 rule. That's what needs to happen. So by being actively involved in this, in each individual part, what does it do? It not only holds us together, it causes the growth of the body. It causes us to grow up. Notice that we don't just grow by knowing doctrine. We grow by applying doctrine in relation to one another. We know it. It's the base we operate from. We put the hands and feet on it, and we bring it forward with Christ as the center. And next thing you know, growth is happening. Numerical growth, cool, if God wants it. But if he doesn't, so what? It's God's church. Let him do what he wants. Let him bring the people that he wants. If you like it, cool, stay. If you don't, don't. But if you're here and you know God doesn't want you here, go somewhere else. That's okay. Don't bring disobedience into this body. That's okay. There's nothing wrong with that. What's he talking about here? Spiritual growth. Maturity. Us growing up and fleshing out the body of Christ. It causes the growth of the body for the building up of itself. Didn't you love the day that your child became a self-feeder? You were like, oh, my food is still warm. It's like you remembered how it was at one time, but now it's like a whole brand new thing It has come back. Because all of a sudden the body started building itself up and you were like, oh my gosh, I have breathing room. But here's the amazing thing. It's, it's not just anywhere. It's not just willy-nilly thing. Notice this. Because here's how you know. Is the body of Christ growing properly? How do I know The Grace Bible Church is growing spiritually. Because we're not just building ourselves up. We're not just talking about how each other's hair looks wonderful today. It's not... There's always somebody. It's not just that. In fact, it has nothing to do with that. It's looking past all those things and recognizing that despite... What's going on in my life or your life It's the fact that love is ruling out in that. And that's not love how the world defines it. It's love how Christ has defined it. That selfless, sacrificial giving of one another for the betterment of one another. It's agape. It's, 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 It's putting it forward willingly without expecting anything in return. It's the idea that we begin to experience that type of love connectivity with one another. That's how you gauge it. So let's finish up here. Children's church people are going to kill me. What is God's earthly goal for the church? I tried to summarize just so we grasp this concept. Because here's the thing, guys. Think about this. The reason why I'm going so slow, if this isn't us, we're in sin. If this isn't us, we're off base. Well, I'm just going to do church the way I want to. Cool. That church is down the road. Go there. I'll even write you a letter of recommendation. John is going to be a welcome member at your church. He loves doing things his way. And I've noticed that you guys do too. Love, Jeremy. I don't know. I'm not even talking about a particular church. That's just a joke. Laugh with me. It's okay to be okay in church. The body of Christ, that's us, builds itself up when it appropriates the doctrine that it receives. In other words, we're not just leaving the Word on the page. We're embracing it. When the Word of God is learned and embraced by faith, We're believing that it's true. That's the only way it works. Spirit-led ministry occurs, leading to a practical unity that reflects the perfect spiritual unity that is already ours in Christ and an epignosis regarding the Lord Jesus that results in spiritual maturity. This maturity prevents the church from being easily swayed by the schemes of this present age. This maturity is measured by the love that is produced within the body. That's how this works. Verses 11-16, through that's why this should be so weighty. That's why this should matter. It's not, hey, you want to go to church today? Stop that. We are the church. Do you want to join with the assembly of brothers and sisters today? If we shouldn't, we might want to read Hebrews 10 again. Here's the question. Does your goal for the church... Match God's goal for the church. In other words, the idea that we have pictured of what church should be or what I want out of church, think about that statement for a little while. Does it look anything like what the Bible gives pictorially about church? What it portrays for our understanding. And if you find that there is a gap, if there's a lot of space in between there, there's the area of confession there's where we need to recognize that maybe my ideals and thinking what the church should be or what the church should have is not really what matters. Yes, we want to do this building thing. We believe that God's called us to do it. Absolutely. It's going to happen in God's time according to his will. But it's not about the building, is it? It's really not. It's about reaching people. It's about creating an environment where we can freely talk about Jesus Christ without any restriction whatsoever. It's creating an opportunity, a tool, so that people can walk out of here and say, wow, my sins are forgiven. I'm going to heaven when I die. I can't take any greater joy than in that. That's the goal. That's the goal. This unity that we experience has got to be made a practicality. We have to be growing in our knowledge of the Lord, and if that's the case, we will mature. But if we have an idea of what church should be, and it is starkly divorced from what God's view of church should be, And there's some alone time we need to spend with the Lord so that we would humble ourselves and bring ourselves in alignment with what He desires as seen in these verses. Everybody with me? Let's pray. Father in heaven, we thank You that the Word of God doesn't just equip us but warns us if we don't grow up, we will be a childish church. If we don't move forward in trying to make unity practical, In the here and now, based off of all that You've done, we will suffer greatly. If we are not looking to grow in a greater knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ, we will be deficient. We will be incapable of accomplishing what You desire for us. So Lord, help us to put off childish ways and to grow up. Please give us, grant us, by Your mercy, a view of understanding what that means for our particular lives. Help us to be aware of false ideologies, these stale breezes that are coming through the church to try to get us off track. Let us recognize them for the stench that they really are. And instead, to focus on Jesus, to grow up into Him, to hold fast to Him, to recognize that we are knitted together in Him, and that as we would work properly each individual part, we would begin building ourselves up in the love that is demonstrated between one another. Father, all of this takes a lot to think through. How badly, how badly I need it impressed upon my heart time and time again. So we ask, Lord, in your mercy, that the Holy Spirit would add it to our understanding and not let us go easily. Chain us to this truth, that we would begin to see the overflow of the Spirit's work throughout this body through a 100 100 principle. We pray that in the name of Jesus our Lord. Amen. And real quick, let me make one more comment just in case we forget. We've started a new thing where we want to make ourselves available for prayer up here at the front. I'll be up here. Jay will be up here. Uh, Could I get a lady that would be willing? Sherry, you good? Come up here. Faith, thank you. Make yourself available up here. If anybody needs prayer once worship is over and is concluded, please come forward. We would love to spend time praying for you. Psalm 41-5 through says, I waited patiently for the Lord. And he inclined to me and heard my cry. He brought me up out of the pit of destruction, out of the miry clay. And he set my feet upon a rock, making my footsteps firm. He put a new song in my mouth, a song of praise to our God. Many will see and fear and will trust in the Lord. How blessed is the man who has made the Lord his trust and has not turned to the proud nor to those who lapse into falsehood. Many, O Lord my God, are the wonders which you have done and your thoughts toward us. There's none to compare with you. I would declare and speak of them. they would be too numerous to count. Let's stand for this last song.